Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Welcome to IRC Book Club. We are proud to announce that we are back on a very regular cadence. We went a little bit off our cadence during the summer. People were in lockdown, not a lot going on, not a lot of people in cars, but you're all back in your cars now. So let's talk. Today, I think we're talking about the most important book we've ever covered on the show. Uh, I don't agree with that, but I think it's in the modern world, as I've said, because we met Tony Hughes this morning and as I said to him, and it wasn't just a compliment to him, I really mean it. I think that if you are in a sales role and you don't read this book, you are stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You're a full on fuckwit. I really do. You're a fool. Yes. You're a fool. Because whether you subscribe to, you know, what the book's going to tell you to do and, and is the way forward or not, if you don't know that this is happening, at some point, you will wake up with a massive mortgage, massive house that you've previously been able to pay for, and you won't be able to pay for it. It's that simple. The people that don't read this book are foolish, I think. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, like Johnny's the techie one, I'm like the old-fashioned one, and I'll be the first to say that, you know, I'm... I don't jump on board the latest technology things straight away. No. But I read this book and thought, right, I'm blooming glad I know about this book and about this stuff that's out there. And the other thing about the book is, as far as I can work out, because we've been doing some digital transformation ourselves, this is the most accurate and in-depth compendium of available technology for salespeople I've ever come across. I just think it's... The amount of research and knowledge in this book is terrific. Yeah. So we're big raps. Yeah. As before we get stuck into it. Yeah. Really big raps from Mike and Johnny. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Anybody that's not reading this. And well, let's jump in. So the book is Tech Powered Sales by Tony Hughes. And who's his co-author? I don't know. And I can't look at that bit on my iPad because I'm a- Because you're a Luddite and you can't find the notes. <laughs> you can't find the notes on your iPad. <laughs> no, I can't. I've got to look at each page individually. Oh, well, I've got a much more convoluted tech stack. Exactly. But anyway, so the book is called Tech Powered Sales. Yeah. And, and, you know, in summary, it's talking about the technology that's available to sellers to be more effective, but fundamentally. Yes. So let's start then. Don't believe the lie that technology simply redistributes jobs from lower skills and lower paid work to higher value and higher paid careers. Yeah. In the first two industrial revolutions, mills, looms, internal combustion engines, artificial and mechanised factories eliminated the vast majority of agricultural and manufacturing jobs or concentrated populations into cities where many lived like battery hens. And what this book is about and where the book is going is we're currently in the midst of a massive transformation. And what's taking place is technology is now really affecting the sales game. Sorry to interrupt you, but we're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution, and this is putting a lens on how sales is being affected by 
all those different changes that are forming part of the fourth industrial revolution and how it affects our industry. That's what this is about. Yes, that's much more succinct in terms of what I was saying. And he makes some really interesting points early on in the book. 83% of inside sales reps fail to hit target. Almost 40% last less than six months in their role. He said, they fail to hit numbers because they fail to create an adequate opportunity pipeline, fail to provide insights and value in conversations. They fail to close deals they need and fail effectively to use the technology and tools designed to help. And then the next point he makes, which I think is brilliant, is 70% of what salespeople can do or do do can now be automated by technology. Now, I think this is massive, Mike, because we've got a lot of clients out there paying big money for salespeople. And long may it continue, hopefully. That notwithstanding, actually, a lot of what they hire people for can be done by tech. Completely agree. It just can. It shines a light on the basic salary of paying a salesperson the £120,000, £150,000 basic. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the current market where a lot of those guys and girls are holding uh, employers to ransom. Yes, they, they are. They really are. Whole, and, and at some point, you know, we, we had a conversation actually recently, I think it was Thursday, Friday last week, Johnny, about a candidate getting a bit whiny about the fact the healthcare provided with the role was poor. On a £103,000 basic salary. Claims he hasn't earned less than £300,000 a year for the last X many years, plus his stock, plus what he's earned in RSUs. And, and he's whining about the healthcare. I think in two years' time, these employers will go, all right, yeah, fine, I'll just... I'll just pay less and invest more into technology. And all these people out there on massive basics are going to really have to think about the value that they bring that can't be delivered by the technology. Yeah, I mean, I think that guy in particular and his like, notably big branded corporate enterprise level software salespeople that work with the big powerful brands. I mean, he works for a household brand name vendor. I think he's done. I agree. Because I don't think he adds that much value to the sale. Well, he works for a vendor that sells this kind of technology. Yeah. I just don't think he adds that much value. And I think he's going to wake up and go, hold on a minute. Customers are just buying it online. What he sells, the customers will buy without a salesperson in two years. Well, look at what happened in the telecoms market. You know, the telecoms market became brutally marginalised. And yeah, we used to have uh, Energis, what was Planet Online, back in 2000, actually. And there were guys there earning two, three, four hundred grand a year, and this is in two thousand. Oh, it's nuts! I don't know how much telecom sales people earn because I don't think any of them are any good, so I have no interest in them. But I, I bet it's a lot harder now to earn that kind of money in that market. Yeah, I mean, I sort of touched on a little bit of telco stuff about a month and a half, two months ago, due to some work I was doing on a particular project, and the get salespeople were very commodity. I mean. It, it, <laughs> It's a commodity, simple as. And I think that what my view is with the technology that we've got knocking around, if what you sell, if you couldn't, if with a bit of effort, you could do the pre-sales for your own product yourself, or you don't even really need to do pre-sales for it. If that's the case with what you sell, then you're in a very dangerous place because of the technology that's out there. But then you can dissect it further. I mean, I've always thought Tony's very, very good. I thought his previous book, Combo Prospecting, is a must-buy book, actually, again. Yeah. But he makes an interesting point about Henry Ford, 
And he said, while simplistic, Henry Ford thinking can be applied to the supply chain of demand generation. There are really only two ways to shatter the glass ceiling of the SDR stroke, AE, industrial complex. And what he's talking about here is we've currently got SDRs and we've got account execs. Now, obviously, account execs are a lot more expensive than SDRs. They're more trained. They've got more. They've been in the market a lot longer. Yeah. And actually, what we're going to go into is, can we get an SDR? Can we tech them up sufficiently so that actually we don't need an AE? And that example that you've just been giving about the guy on 103 grand basic, he's the kind of person that's going to be replaced by a a weaponized SDR, somebody who's weaponized with good technology, I think. I agree. I mean, for me, the, one of the overriding quotes early on in the book is, if you think your value is in relationship management, you are deluded. And I think that's so true. As he said, uh, we, we interviewed him this morning and that show will come out in a few weeks' time. He talked a lot about how the fact that clients just don't need new friends. They don't. There's new results. They need results. And we find that, I think that's really happened even more so in our market recently. Our relationships are less friendly and more, what's the word, much more utilitarian. Even though actually we do deliver a lot of insight and we do deliver a lot of strategy and a lot of support, our clients are very utilitarian in the, listen, give me insight off. Really, aren't they? Yeah. Well, what they actually want, but they only really want to interact with us for the insight. Yes. That's the only interaction point they want with us. You know, sending them a CV of a candidate that looks right, it's just a dead easy thing to do, isn't it? Oh, your candidate looks right, I'll interview them. Why do they want a conversation with me? They don't. They don't want a conversation about that. What they want is insight into why they're struggling to recruit or why somebody a little bit left field might be good. You know, they just want a transaction, don't they? Yeah. And whilst I don't sell software, a lot of the other sales books that we've read talk about how well-informed the buyer is because information is so freely available. So actually, where's the value that some of these sellers are adding? There isn't any. And therefore, there's no value. You can automate it. They're going to be gone. Correct. We talked this morning about this. I was saying um, anybody that sells something that can be sold with a puppy dog clothes, that's got an order value of less than £50,000 of ARR a year, I think is, unless you've really clued up on what this book is talking about, I think you're in real trouble career-wise. I agree. So let's get specific. What he's talking about is, and he, he talks about there's three things now that are going to make up the salesperson in the future. IQ, EQ, and what he calls TQ. And he said, business review defines technology quotient as our ability to assimilate or adapt to technology changes by developing and employing strategies to successfully include technology in our work and life. Someone without TQ today is a dinosaur on the brink of extinction. It's very certain. The, the book is very certain and very clear. You, you know, you're in real trouble here if you're not doing it, if you're not involved with it. And, and I have to say, Mike, I mean, how many salespeople do you know where you'd think, he's got real TQ, that guy? Well, we didn't get to cover it with Tony, actually, but I think there's going to come a point very soon when the savvy interviewers are going to start asking questions in interviews about their knowledge of using technology in the sales campaign. I think the candidates in the current market are going to walk out the interview and go, that's not my jam. I get paid too much to worry about top of the funnel. I'm too expensive a resource to be worrying about that kind of thing. <laughs> Good voice. But that's the bullshit they're going to come out with. I agree. And I think Tony's right. I think the, the, you've got people here literally 
you've got dinosaurs on the verge of extinction here. This is a cataclysmic potential period for the profession. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because in the book, he names lots of different pieces of technology. Now, I am a dinosaur. I realised that as I was reading the book. Zapier, never heard of it. You have because we use it in, uh, at IRC. Well, you get my point. If you did a quiz with a salesperson and asked, uh, you know, gave him 100 different technology names, because I bet there's two or 300 in this book, and said, that, what does it do? That, what does it do? You know, and, and asked them about the different technology pieces that make up top of the funnel. They just, won't, they just won't know the answer. And that would really put me off if I was an interviewer. That would really bother me, actually, I think. He makes a point in the book on this. He says, as with any effective change in a business, it has to be led from the top. So if we, you and I got 100 tech CEOs in a room tomorrow and interviewed them about this, none of them would have a clue. I reckon 5%. In our ideal client profile, I reckon only a very small percentage would, would be clued up on it. Well, you know, I was going to use the example of Lucia. So I still like a bit of cold calling. And people are still in 2020. Where do you get my number from? Lucia. What's that? They don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. What's that? I think, Mike, yeah. I Michael, say- I've got a meeting at 11.30 with a prospect client. And uh, they want us to do some work on a sales director's job in America in health. With stock, nice job. So they messaged me initially to say, can you recommend an agency in America? And I said, no, we'll do it. And they went, we're very sceptical about how you would do it. And that's the CEO. I'm very sceptical about how you could do that. So I sent him an email. Who do you know in America? Yeah, I sent him an email. I said, well, according to this in New England, there are 6 million people on the LinkedIn network. Of those 6 million people on the LinkedIn network, 40,000 of them sell technology into work in healthcare technology. Of those, 6,000 appear to be in sales. Of those, about 1,000 appear to be in some kind of leadership role. And of those, da 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 da, and I narrowed it down to an audience of about 400 in about five minutes. I said, so here's what I'll do. I'll get the names, email addresses, and mobile numbers. And he was like, wow, let's meet on Monday. This is a guy who's the CEO of about four different businesses and an investor in about 10. I mean, this is a very, very clued up guy, but I'll tell you what, he is not clued up about this at all. Has no idea. Amazing. And he's a typical example of the sort of people that are out there. They don't realise that the data is 100% ubiquitous. You can, suppliers like Zoom Info, Lucia, you can buy mobile numbers and email addresses. And it's all legit. Let's be clear. It's legit. It's not... Yeah, they're legit. It's, it's not like this is some underhand thing. You know, I looked on the Lucia website ages ago and I'm I'm pretty sure that it was something like Microsoft, Amazon, SAP, Oracle, you know, are all Lucia users. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's some some dark web hooky thing. It's yeah. it's right there in the front and centre. I was looking at one called the, yesterday that he talks about in the book called Lemlist where they warm your email domain name up for you before. And what's amazing about a lot of these products, and this is what I think will be even more surprising is, I think a lot of the really top guys, if you're really on it now, you'd build your own personal tech stack. I agree. And what I mean by that, and I've often, this is a real frustration for me, is I often get candidates on the phone who are on £120,000 basic, and they get, oh, I'm very frustrated with my employer's, I'm not getting the marketing resource I need. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. I don't even have LinkedIn Navigator. Yeah. Well, it's 50 quid a month, mate. Pay for it yourself. Well, they won't expense it. 
I don't care. Yeah, I agree. It's a cost. It's it's table stakes, mate. It's cost of being in your job. It's like paying for ink for your pen. Completely agree. Get over yourself. And actually, you could have your own looser account. Yeah. For the amount of data a lot of enterprise salespeople that we deal with need, you could pay for your own looser account. You could pay for your own sequencing application. You could pay for pretty much most of it for about three, 400 quid a month. But most of them won't do it. Yeah. And you're on 103K basic. And you're, and you're on 103 or 150K basic, and you won't pay for it yourself. Well, you won't pay off make sense. It's, well, who cares? It's table stakes, mate. It's, yeah, I agree. It's, it's the cost of getting out of bed in life in order to be competitive in your job. Yeah, you know, it's interesting on that front. So I've got this client, and what she says... So, so she pays about 100 to 120. And I got talking to her about car allowance and health and all that kind of stuff. This is ages ago. I don't even ask her anymore. And she said, Mike, why is that of any interest to me? And I said, what do you mean? She said, what, am I supposed to go and get them a mobile phone or buy them a computer? I said, what, what, what are you on about, Mike? I'm going to give them the opportunity to earn £300,000 a year plus stock if they're not self-motivated enough to sort their own self out Correct. to be successful, I have no interest in them. Correct. And she's right. You know how heavily I rate her. I think she's one of the very best I've ever met. She absolutely couldn't be more spot on. So the candidates go, well, I don't get a mobile phone. Nope. No, you don't even get a laptop. Buy, go to the Apple store and buy a top quality MacBook Pro yourself. And guess what? The people that work there for her, that's exactly what they do. Don't even ask. What are the benefits? They don't even ask. But the top guys will. So here's one for you then, Johnny, on the technology quotient bit. And talking about tech stacks. So I'm on my iPad, which is terrible to read with. Yeah. Um, but on page 22 of 252, uh, it talks about the sales technology stack. And it says, CRM, CX, marketing automation, social networked intelligence, sales engagement platform, data enrichment, trigger event monitoring, parallel assisted dialers, dialers collaboration. I actually think that there's eight headings there. I think if you were getting into this book, you could look at those eight headings, and I think most salespeople would be about one out of ten on those, maybe two out of ten on some of them. If you increased each of those by one out of ten a quarter, I think it would make such a monumental difference over the space of a year. Imagine if you did that. If you took those headings, you were right, each month I'm going to try and increase my knowledge, my experience, my tech stack in one of those eight columns, I think you'd be a million times better off. Just a million times. But what's fascinating, Mike, is how many salespeople do you get on the phone who whine about the fact that their boss is giving them grief about their Salesforce hygiene? Yes, well, loads. <laughs> That's before we've started talking to them about sequences, dialers, intent data. So what's your point? That we're going to give them this tech and then they're not going to use it anyway. Tony says, did he say 70% of salespeople are going to lose their jobs, was it? No, a third, he said, a third. He said a third of salespeople are going to lose their jobs. That's just reality. A third of salespeople are done. Yes. I At the moment, everyone's laughing and it. You know, it's a little bit of an elephant in the room, isn't it? The market's so easy, isn't it? market's so easy at the minute. You don't have to be very good no, anyway. You don't have to be very talented to earn 300,000. No, not at the minute, I don't think. you just got to be in the right market. It says here, AI and ML. Yeah. He talks about AI and ML are really coming for everybody. And it's one of those things, he said, are coming at such a velocity that we must think like our Buckminster Fuller to build a new model that shatters the prevail. I think a lot of people are sat there saying, oh, well, we've just all been a bit hysterical. You know, we're a long way from a singularity that's going to do my job. What he's saying is this isn't about 
the singularity coming along and an artificially intelligent computer doing your job for you. You know, I'm reading another book at the moment called A Rationalist Guide to the Galaxy by Tom Chivers, which is a much deeper treatise of the implications of AI on society. And what the rationalists are all saying is, listen, an AI singularity could come really quickly, but it might not. It could be 100 years before it happens. And actually, a singularity could actually create a golden age of humanity because the singularity will be so much cleverer than us that it could theoretically, if we get it right, create a golden age of humanity where nobody works and we all have lots of lovely lives. That notwithstanding, people thinking that they, they sort of, they've got this false view in their head of where the technology is going. They all think Skynet. They think images of a, a smiling skeletal robot killer from the future. That's not it. It's much more subtle than that. Yes. And they don't realise it's so much more subtle and it's already here. And people are going, oh, like you're being a bit hysterical. Everybody's always going to need salespeople. But what people don't realise is how much of their work and how much of what salespeople do is already getting done automatically now in some of the top sales environments. Software that control the internet and find customer intent to buy. And I'll tell you what, you know, we had a debate with Tony about it this morning. I said, if you're looking at intent data now, you're already too late. But some of that intent data in terms of triggers of what's triggering the buying process is early. Well, yeah, Tony, just in that conversation, he just said, yeah, but just set your trigger data up to look earlier in the buying pipeline. In the pipe, yeah. And you went, you went all right, fair enough. <laughs> you got a point. Yeah. Job depart, you can set it up to, to look a lot earlier in the buying pipeline than, say, for example, oh, company X has just had a funding round of Y. You can be much earlier than that. So so let's just talk about the trigger thing for a minute. Go on then. Well, I, I think that, you know, you and I, Johnny, because we've read the book, have got to be careful to re-reference the book for those people that actually haven't read it because we're talking at a surface level rather than a granular level. Yes. So if we use triggers as an example, yeah. so to the listeners out there, what, you know, what's, what's a trigger? So to give you an example, for me, a trigger is Company X have just got Series C funding of £100 million. The easy thing to do would be to phone them up and say, right, you've got all this cash, are you going to spend any of it on recruitment? The answer is obviously yes, because they're going to. But what Tony's saying is, yeah, and what you're saying actually is, yeah, but if you do that, just after they've had Series C, what he refers to it has been as a Red Sea with just lots of sharks swimming about trying to get the cash. What Tony's saying is, why don't you set your trigger up so they've just hired a heavyweight CFO? Yes. That heavyweight CFO has worked for companies that have gone out and raised funding. So because they've hired that CFO, in a year's time, they're going to get funding. Now, actually, if you were, if you were me or you know, a sales recruiter, and you could set up a trigger event that said, Websoft have just hired Janet, the world's most impressive CFO, you'd look at it and think, why have Websoft, a 50-person company based in Israel, just hired the most hardcore CFO on the planet? Oh, I know, because she's an expert in getting funding. I should get into Websoft now. Now, will I get any briefs out of Websoft now? No. But when the Series C is announced and all the other recruiters come knocking, me as a salesperson, I've provided insight to Janet at Websoft so none of the other recruiters can get anywhere near. And that's just one example of one of the eights of Tony's tech stack. Yeah. Actually, how many of our salespeople, Johnny, are using trigger? Well, I'm not. <laughs> they don't even know. They don't even know it's there. They don't know it's there. Yeah. They don't know it's there, mate. And then they're the ones sat there going, oh, yeah, but 
the healthcare with this opportunity isn't very good, then somebody's going to go, yeah, whatever, whatever. Correct. I just employed somebody on 30K basic and given them a 70 grand's worth of technology. I don't need you and your crappy complaint about healthcare anymore, pal. That was the point we made this morning, isn't it? In the interview with Tony is- That's what's got to happen. That's what's going to happen. £150,000 basic salary, or should I employ an SDR on 30, 40K, bright young person, 26, 27, with a degree in digital media who's actually very technically savvy and got a nice, pleasant personality, and then spend to hell with it. I'll throw £100,000 worth of tech and data at him. I think currently- those people on the big salaries in comparison to the kid on 30 grand are in real trouble unless they become really technology quotient high. Unless they become, as Tony says, a cyborg. Correct. And in the book, there's a picture of him like with the overlay of T2000 on it or whatever with the red eye. That's what the top people are going to be. Correct. You know, we, I, I, I remember, I can't remember his name actually, but there was a guy out there that you interviewed years ago who had a great deal of success handwriting personal letters yep. that took two days worth of research, I think that will still stand the test of time. I don't, because in the book he's talking about being able to get data at that level very quickly and that there are suppliers out there who are doing that amount of research for you, that amount of personalization. Yes, but my point being is that that person who writes the letter, what he should do is use this technology and rather than write, one letter every two days, he should write 10 letters every hour. And then he, if he stays on his game, he'll be right at the very top. The company he works for needs one of him, yep. not 20 of the others. Correct. And that's where the other 19 are going to fall. Because actually what the uh, the technology allows you to do is to have one person producing a lot more output. Yes, absolutely. Tell you what's fascinating is how fast the technology is moving. Tony makes a point very early on in the book that by the time people start reading the book, the book will probably be out of date. And there's a line here, Nova.ai, Autobound.ai, Research Curation, Cheetah IQ, GRA Insight, and so on. Communication and DM videos, Drift, Vidyard, BombBomb, LinkedIn, Calendar, X.ai, Calendly, Chili. He talks about these companies. Two of them are already out of business. We've used X.ai for years. They got bought and the product got sunsetted and somebody's embedded the product into their product. Nova.ai website don't even exist anymore. Amazing that, isn't it? So you've got a market that's moving technologically and operationally that fast that you've got to be on it. Well, I agree. That's nuts, isn't it? Yes, but the, I, I go back to the, uh, the framework of those eight different pillars that he talks about. The technology inside those eight pillars will change, but those eight pillars are good pillars to have Correct. Uh, a view of. I think this is very interesting. So. His co-author is a guy called Daniel, and Daniel talks about uh, his leadership tips. And I think this would be fascinating if you're a sales leader listening to this, that actually how you're going to equip and arm your salespeople to be successful, because your opposite number in another company, if they arm their salespeople and you don't arm your salespeople, your salespeople will fail and it will be your fault, actually. Yes. I mean, I, I can't quite work out who this book's more important for, salespeople or sales leaders. I think it's important for chief execs, full stop. I think chief execs should read this. Because I think a lot of chief execs, they don't know it's happening. They think that if I hire a sales guy, it's his problem to solve my problem. There's a degree to which that's true, actually. I do think that. I think you're going to pay someone 150 grand. You want results. 
Here's £150,000 basic. Solve the problem. I don't care. I don't care what you need to do. Well, I need this. I need that. Go away. Solve my problem. I've not even delegated it, have I, at that level? I've abdicated it. Yes, correct. Absolutely. And I'm all for that, as you know, Johnny, in my own management style. I'm a man who abdicates things to people. Uh, but Daniel's leadership tips, arm your warriors, stop thinking about the vendors or available budget. And, and I think if you read these bits on page whatever, we're on page 26, I think that's really, really important. You know, you as a leader have got to arm your people. They're going into battle to try and beat your competition. It's also interesting that he makes a point about Remington Rawlings adds this by saying, it is really easy to be loyal to a certain vendor in our day and age and even to get fixated on making things work to bring that vendor on wherever you go. Now, I think we've got that with Salesforce. I think we're overly loyal to Salesforce. But what's going to be interesting is that the way that the technology advancing and the fact that a lot of these clients, most technology companies are SaaS-based, I think the days of having a base and just milking it for eternity, that's gone that now. People are going to chop and change out of different software systems much more easily and quickly. Well, what's very interesting is you look at some of the jobs we're filling at the moment, quite a few of them are technology partnership jobs because actually your product is only as strong as the integration stack that's around it. So why is Salesforce still our? Because Salesforce's integration stack is massive. And we, can, we know that pretty much every vendor that we might want to bring into our tech stack it's highly unlikely they won't integrate with Salesforce. And Salesforce, in reality, is where we keep data now. Yes, it's a repository. Yeah, it is. It's become just a simple data repository where we can structure and categorize data. I want to be careful that we don't get 100% carried away because I think there are some caveats here. He makes a point. I'm at location 963. What page that is, I don't know. But I'll give you the quote. It says, imagine a bot working 24-7 on your website. 21% in, it's page 30. I'm on page 30. How simpatico, as uh, he said in Breaking Bad. It says, imagine a bot working 24-7 on your website, interacting with your prospects in real time, setting up your humans to call those who could actually buy from you. Brilliant. You and I, we love our bots, don't we? And uh, I'm not as much of a fan of them as you are, actually. No, but I, I do like the bots in certain scenarios. I've said there's a couple of issues here. Firstly, that's assuming that you can drive the customer into a web channel where the bot resides. That's not easy. People don't always dive into your funnel as much as you want them to. So they interact via email, text, LinkedIn. Sometimes they even pick up the phone and want to speak to a human. So we can get carried away with the technology because sometimes it's good, but it's not perfect. I said people are also, for me, getting very wise to when they're talking to a bad bot. And, as, and more importantly, some people just won't do it. You know, for us, in our game, low-level candidates won't interact with the bot. That is very true, actually. I find that fascinating. The low-level candidates, so sort of, you know, if we break it down into basic salaries, a lot of the guys on less than 50K are just really snotty about talking to a bot, whereas a lot of the guys on 100K just went, yeah, fine. Love it. They love it. I often get really good feedback. If we present a job using a video and a bot, and the bot responds, they take the bot, the bot creates the lead, the lead then qualifies them, it then creates a lead into Salesforce and books a call with them. Da, 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 da. Often the senior guys go, very slick, very cool, well done. Yeah, whereas the junior guys go, I'm not talking to a bot. 
Correct. What? Because your counterpart that earns four times that you do, she's bang into it. But they have fragile egos and they want somebody to serve them because they're used to sucking shit all day, aren't they, off clients because often they're not that clued up and they're not that tech savvy and they spend their lives in backward environments, cold calling, when actually they could be doing miles better quality calls all day. So as a result, their, their egos, they don't like it. Now, I think there is an element of that. If we get that with low-level customers and candidates, I bet our clients and candidates get that with certain clients and candidates. I think there's an element of the market out there that will go, I'm not interacting with you, bot. I'm not interacting with your email sequence. Call me, speak to me, suck up to me, serve me, chase me. I don't think the the suck up is the right term because I would never think I suck up to anybody. What I find fascinating at the moment is I think cold calling is easier than it has ever been. Of course. Yeah. Because no one's doing it. Everybody has swallowed a preposterous, a preposterous blue pill about social selling. A preposterous blue pill. I think that's part of it. I think also what's happened, particularly in recruitment, is a lot of recruitment is just kids on phones. But the kids aren't actually on phones. It's kids behind email. And because it does work, you know, I, I, I get loads of emails from recruiters pitching me candidates. Obviously, they're nothing to do with what I do. But I read them. They're beautiful, these email templates. Gorgeously written. But that's just a kid pressing go behind it. But I agree with you. You know, I'm all for LinkedIn. Let's get it right. We get, this content will go out on LinkedIn. And it will generate business for us. But, uh, well, just let's just qualify the generate business thing. I don't think a post that, you know, let's say this one that goes on LinkedIn is going to mean that some person in charge of a 200-employee AI company is going to pick up the phone and go, oh, Mike, I thought our podcast was brilliant. Uh, I've got some job briefs. That's not going to happen. But at some point, I'll canvas that person. And they'll go, it creates awareness, doesn't it? They'll go, oh, I've seen you on LinkedIn. You're the guys that do those uh, podcasts about sales books. Oh, yeah. And F1 posts, they seem to be the best. Correct. The other part as well, Johnny, is I think that I- I'm bored of being sequenced. Yeah. Like, I, like, I know I'm being sequenced. I'm just bored of it. I'm like, I, I get sequenced through LinkedIn. I get sequenced through email. It bores me. It just turns me off. I just think, I'm just not into that. So the question is, I, I think the real issue with it is, People are overly using the sequences and they aren't, and he says it in the book, they're not original enough and creative enough with their sequencing content. They're not funny enough, clever enough. They're not targeted enough and specific enough. What he will be saying is, by all means, use your outreach sequences. That yeah, They're good, they work, but you've actually got to drag in other pieces of information using other technology that's available to you. And he makes a very, well, he, he said it today actually when we spoke to him, he went, you've got people just burning their databases really quickly. So what good is that to you? Crushing them, crushing They're them. Just burning your database. I've got a sequence that's going to go out today for a guy that sells to the not-for-profit sector. But it's going to be so accurately targeted that it won't feel sequency. Everybody who's going to get that is going to go, hmm, right, this guy knows my business. But that's about, and then he talks about this, we've got very good offshore resource who can do that research. And again, that, you know... I was laughing with my wife about this. She was moaning about being so busy and she was doing this thing that was very administrative. And I said, get somebody in the Philippines to do that and claim it back in your expenses. Well, I can't do that. Just pay a freelancer to do it. 
go on Upwork, get freelancers to do it for you. Don't do that yourself. That's ridiculous. But people don't quite realise, and he makes a really good point in the book, that actually most people think they're really busy. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm really busy, I'm really busy. Actually, you're only spending about 5% of your time selling. Rest of the time, you're just doing shite. And, and actually, most of that can be outsourced. And if it's not outsourced, you can get a machine to do it. Completely agree. And that's really a lot of what he's getting at, is he's saying, yeah, you're sat there running around, you're working 60 hours a week. Brilliant, good luck with that. Somebody else is working 40 and he's got a machine to do 20 times the amount of work that you're doing. Well, he's working 60, actually. But his 60 hours are just much more productive, aren't they? Yes. Now, it is brilliant, this. And, and I mentioned this when we interviewed Tony Hughes this morning. And I'm still on this concept of a bot working 24-7 on your website, interacting with your prospects in real time, setting up humans to call those who can actually buy from. I do wonder if, in a couple of years' time, Joe Public is going to wake up and say, enough. You know, we've just had a whole thing with the wagon drivers, not having enough wagon drivers and some wagon drivers not wanting to work, all that. You know, let's get it right. Elon Musk is just on the cusp of releasing full self-driving now. You know, he's been promising it for years, but it is here now. It's here. You know, what we're into now is arguments over legal liabilities and insurance companies, but it's here now. A car can drive itself. A wagon can drive itself. End of. End of discussion. It can be done. On the roads, in traffic, and that wagon is safer than a human driver. So that's great, but we're all going to wake up in a few years' time. And everybody, you know, there's an argument. I had an argument with somebody about it on LinkedIn. No, the jobs will be redistributed. They won't. Tony says it in the book. Not all of the jobs were redistributed in the the Industrial Revolution. Not how it works. I do wonder if there's going to be a backlash and that actually customers are going to say, look, actually, you've gone out and bought a load of technologies to canvas me, but actually send me a human salesman, will you? There's two parts to it. What, what, one I think you're referring to is just a moral point, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, are governments going to produce legislation to protect jobs? You know, is that going to happen? My dad was a wagon driver and uh, when he retired, he was about 60, I thought. Let's say he'd actually, you know, he's fortunate that he retired, wasn't made redundant. If my dad had been made redundant at 60, would he have been able to get another job doing something else? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have been able to do it. Brilliant at reversing a 30-ton articulated lorry down something <laughs> that was a millimetre. Just literally best reverser you've ever seen in your life. Incredible. My brother's a walking sat-nav. He's a taxi driver. He's a walking sat Exactly. Driver. Well, well, take your brother then as an example. So Uber come over and uh, and Stevie Graham's out of work. What job's Stevie Graham going to do? Well, who knows? But but so it, that's a government legislative standpoint. There's also the moral argument when people go, hold on a minute, what job does the taxi driver do now? Oh, has he got one? Oh, the un- unemployment the unemployment figures are going up. All oh, right. Oh. That's my point. I think governments will have to legislate for that. However, on the other hand of it, if you there's a book by a guy called Something Kraus, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Yeah. He makes a point in that, that and it's something like in the eighteen hundreds, ninety-six percent of the American workforce worked in the land, in farms. Yeah. Now it's two percent. Yeah. So what did those other people do? They do different stuff. They found different jobs. And I think where Tony is wrong, and I think where you're wrong here is 
that let's say there's going to be this mass displacement of workers and you say, well, what jobs are they going to do? The reality is they're going to be doing jobs that we don't know that they're currently jobs. And if I'd said to you 15 years ago in 2006, tell you what, Johnny, a brilliant career would be to become a YouTuber. Yeah. You'd have gone, what you want about? What you want about? I just don't know what you mean. But there's all those kind of jobs that are going to be created. So I'm not necessarily worried about the displacement of the workforce because I do actually think there will be other jobs, just we don't know what they are, actually. Now, the question is, will there be other jobs in sales? That's the real question. There will be fewer salespeople. But I think that in a lot of these environments, people haven't quite caught on yet and gone, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, you're creating unemployment. And I think at some point people are just going to say, I don't like it doesn't sit with me because we've got woke right we've got woke righteous indignation about everything else in society particularly gen z are woke righteous and indignant about everything else surely at some point they're going to realize they need to start being woke righteous and indignant about technology and artificial intelligence no because they don't need to earn money what i thought was fascinating is i was at the passport office in durham whole other story (laughs) but i was at the passport office in durham on thursday durham very much a student uh, city, the students had so much cash. It was just unbelievable. And I think there's a generational thing where, you know, yours and my generation, we had to go out and sell stuff and earn money. And therefore, we couldn't be woke. We were poor when we were students as well, Mike, remember? Correct. Well, it's, I read this article about the people, uh, the Insulate Britain lot, who were gluing their hands to the floor. And the article was about their backgrounds. And none of them actually needed to earn money. So are you saying righteous indignation is the folly of a wealthy young society? Of the middle class, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. That's what I'm saying, yeah. 100%. Woo! I really think it is. But, but we're getting off the book here, so we ought to get back to the book, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. So, and he, he talks about all sorts of different stuff. Let's go back to another point he makes here, location 989. The future of sales automation is perpetual cycles of outbound that generate inbound that generates engagement that results in customers. And I've put here... I think we're forgetting a little bit in this discussion about the customer who is going to get paggered by robots, and in the end, we'll employ robots to combat the robots in his inbox. And more and more people are using browsers for me like Brave because they don't want to be tracked and end up as intent data when they do when the, the, the robots do their research. So what I actually think will happen a lot is we're all going to go out, get very technically savvy, but there's going to become a whole industry to combat this industry will just be another industry. Yes, yeah, so well, that's just like the security software market. Correct. Well, most of it will be driven by cybersecurity companies that will maintain and create digital gatekeeping. And that there will be a whole industry of digital gatekeeping because the AI will get so powerful, people will get so bombarded that there'll just be a whole industry of really clever AI digital gatekeeping. So you'll be able to say to your digital gatekeeper, I'm in the market for the following technologies to allow communications around these subjects through, but I'm not in the market for those technologies currently or those procurements, so nothing will just get through. Uh, It'll just get blocked. But uh, equally, I've put, meanwhile, the guy who turns up at the right event or sends the right email or the right sword in the post to the right guy, like Stu Heinecker talks about, or just plain old picks up the phone and calls somebody at 7.45 in the morning, I think he'll still be driving a fast car because he got through to somebody. So I am all for the tech, and I do think that we are facing an apocalypse. But I think actually, right now, do you still pick up your phone? Yeah, well, the phone's a separate thing, isn't it? But what Tony would say to that is he would say, 
but you've got software products like Lavender and Shareativity that automatically suggest what the rep should write. Yeah. So Tony's going to say, yeah, but whatever, Johnny, we don't need uh, human intelligence to write the perfect email because Shareativity and Lavender, they're just going to do it for you. Now, I'd never heard of either of those things. Is it good? I won't get that carried away with that right now. Yeah, but it's going to get better, isn't it? You think what it's going to be like in three years, it'll be amazing. It'll be absolutely amazing, I think. What I found about this book is I'm going through it all the time, underlining different bits of technology, thinking, oh, look at that, I'll look at that, I'll look at that, I'll look at that, I'll look at that. Absolutely fascinating. I'm going to canvas every single uh, technology company in the book, actually. That's one of my projects. Yeah, I mean, he talks a little bit about, for example, building tight Boolean searches in Sales Navigator, then pushing all the optimal direct emails into outreach. He said, this stuff sounds really easy to do, but actually takes a bit of TQ skill and dexterity. And I've actually, my first point is, why would you push straight to outreach? Because it diminishes the value of the data and makes it harder to use again or work with on a more long-term basis. But what is interesting is, you know, he's, he's talking about something as simple to us, me and you, as using a Boolean search in sales now. I reckon if you and I did a survey of 100 salespeople and said, do you know what a Boolean search is? I reckon 5% would. I completely agree with you. I met a client online a while ago that I've done a lot of work with, struggling on a particular role. And I tried to explain to him, you know, what you want isn't out there. And he went, oh, it must be, it must be, it must be. So I uh, met with him online, shared my LinkedIn search, just did a search using LinkedIn Recruiter, and we just didn't talk about the job. All we spoke about was, wow, I didn't know you could do that on LinkedIn. And I mean, this guy's a bright guy, very bright guy. He said, well, we sell to such and such. Could you do that? I went, well, all right. And I did it quickly. And he went, wow, that's amazing. And I didn't say to him, well, what on earth have you been doing? Phoning up reception and asking who was in charge of procurement. <laughs> what, what, well, that, well, I showed him this thing, you know, my LinkedIn search, and he was blown away by my LinkedIn search. And I was sat there thinking, well, what on earth do you do to get prospect? I don't know. They go into meetings and say, we need to buy data. And they buy old-fashioned lists of data. My wife was telling me about it the other day. I think this is fascinating. That I know we, we do quite a lot in terms of A-B testing your sales engagement outreach. Yeah. I mean, you can do that in outreach, can't you? You can do that in a lot of applications. Oh, you can do A, B, C, D, E, F, G testing on each part of a sequence. Because I don't think people are A-B testing their email. No. they're not. Me- nobody is measuring and managing. There was interestingly, if you talk to my wife, when she was at Docman, they hired a guy. And in the end, they hired him. His job was purely sales operations to manage their Pardot instance inside Salesforce and the email marketing around it. And by his own admission, he was a sales guy. He was an inside sales guy. Lovely lad. Lives up in the village, actually. Really nice lad. And um, he became a complete world authority on sequencing and using Pardot for PPC advertising and triggering sequences from advertising clicks and all that shit. And um, he has now got an agency that is making him a fortune. What, just providing resource around that? Yeah. That's smart, isn't it? He, has, he is making a fortune, just consulting around Pardot and helping people create sequences and automated prospecting journeys. Gillian will tell you that when she was at Dotman, he generated a lot of leads. He was bloody good at it. What's going to be interesting is, is that effectiveness going to wane as we get bored of it. The technology will get better and better. And, you know, let's get it right. Alex has joined our business last week. That's going to be largely Alex's job. 
getting down dirty and geeky about, oh, right, if I put the first name before the subject title rather than the subject title after the first name, actually I get 4% more response and over a 1,000 emails, that's X amount more, which is X many more leads at a conversion ratio of that, which is actually that's worth an extra to the business or whatever. And if you're not prepared to geek out on that, I think you will be in trouble. I think this bit was very interesting when he's talking about uh, clean and good data. Yeah. I think a lot, and he's talking about this this company in India that prides itself on 98% list accuracy. You know, a, a lot of, all of this stuff comes back to actually how good your data is, how accurate is the email address. Because if it's not good, you're wasting your time. And we spend a lot of time getting that right. But we still get quite a lot of bounces, I think. We still get a lot of bounces, though, don't we? Yeah, and we're lowering it. I would say we're lowering a lot of it because we are really heavily verifying data before we use it now. So we're getting the data, then we're verifying it, then we're verifying it again, and then we're running the sequence. But I do think the old-fashioned days of buying 10,000 names, 10,000 email addresses, banging out you know, 10,000 emails, that, that's gone. That is not what this book's about. That, that's just gone. Forget it. Don't do it. You're wasting your time. It's little things that can really damage you now. I, I ran a sequence on a job in America and uh, I took Tony's advice. Actually, I forgot to nail him on this this morning. I took Tony's advice and set the sequencer for early morning USA time and after work USA time. Right. And Microsoft went, what the hell is going on? You never send that amount of email at that time. And they kept shutting down my account. That's mad, isn't it? Getting get my domain shut down. Yeah. I was really stressful, and it took me about a week and a half to realise it's that sequence because it's sending emails at a strange time. So what we're, in, what, what we're talking about now is an interesting time because you can, if your data's bad or your timing's bad, and it's going to get more strict over time as more and more people enter the market and play with the toys, the ability to get closed down will become more and more sensitive. I'll tell you something really, really interesting the other day is I went for lunch with some friends, played golf in the morning with a friend, and my mate's wife, lovely girl, she works for a major consulting firm. We were talking about this topic, and she was saying that the major consulting firms are now spending fortunes on training a lot of the staff on things like low-code and technology. He said, it literally, she said, the amount of technology training that she gets now is endless because what they're realizing is they can't bill fees like they could and that they're going to have to turn their salespeople and their people in general, and their consultants into cyborgs. That's interesting. Perfect marriage of man and machine. Yeah. And they are, she said, she said, oh, I'm away all week this week. I'm doing a, a course on uh, low-code software development. Uh, she was explaining that that's not good because they've bought some products. She said that's because part of an ongoing process of making the consulting team unbelievably savvy in order to stay ahead of the game because they know the AIs are coming for them. But I've obviously got somebody smart at the helm of that business. So in terms of this book club, yeah, where are you up to in the book then? So I'm on page, location 1332. He says here, all communication must be relentlessly about the target persona's opportunity to drive improved results in their role. Do not open by talking about yourself, your company, your product, your service, or your solution. Anything that looks like sales or marketing spam is deleted. Be brief. Communicate like a peer rather than a needy seller. 
No sales cliches such as provide value or solution. It's okay to be slightly cryptic and assumptive. Get to the point fast because your buyers suffer from ADD. They're thinking, what do you want? Why should I care? They also want you to be brief and be gone. Anything long is ignored. Be easy to do business with by having a clear call to action that is simple. Relevant personalization is the force multiplier. I loved this book, but I did think some of it like that was a bit obvious. Or is that obvious? Or is it just obvious to me and you? Because we're into that. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about the passage that you read is that isn't about sending emails, that's about selling. Yes, it's because sales obviousness, point one, isn't yes. it? Yes, and I do wonder, actually, and, I, and we, we haven't discussed it yet, but we may as well get onto it, which is I think that what's going to happen is that over the next two or three or four years, the sellers are going to become much more teched up. So they're going to be using all this stuff. But then what if in four years' time there was this backlash that said, actually, yeah, we're quite happy with people cold calling us. You know, we sort of, we never realised how good we had it. What are all these 21-year-olds who are then 25, what, what's going to happen then? Because they've never picked up a phone in anger. You know, how is that going to work? Because I think there's a, like a noticeable increase in how well-received a cold call is. I reckon in a year's time, it'll be even stronger. And in two years' time, it'll be even better and then mark my words, this is going to be the millionaire moment you've all been waiting for. In five years' time, somebody's going to create a business that's an outbound cold calling support function for the technology market, and it'll be like the coolest thing on the planet that's ever happened, I reckon. Yeah, I agree. Because of totally. that point. And I, I do think there'll be a backlash. I think that people will, in five to ten years' time, it, people will go, I'm going to such and such a supermarket. They've got real humans in their supermarket. You can ask somebody where things are. Maybe. So I like this bit where it talks about TQ is a separate meta skill from IQ and EQ. Yes. I think the whole notion of technology quotient is something that people should be now interviewing against. But I think if you do, you're wasting your time because nobody's got any. Well, maybe part of the interview process then should be finding out where somebody has a weakness and then addressing that weakness when they've started. And remember, that's on the basis that a sales leader understands this stuff. And I'm confident that if we got 100 sales leaders in a room tomorrow and did a survey, 5%, if that would really get this. Because remember, you're coming at it from a paradigm of two guys who five years ago said, wherever we can avoid hiring a person, we'll buy technology instead. So as much as you call yourself a laggard, we are right at the front of this curve. I think probably in recruitment we are, yeah. I doubt there's any other recruiters using technology in the way that we use it to get results for our clients. No. Our clients don't know why we get results for them beyond the other no, recruiters. No, no idea. It's just a black box. It's just a... Yeah. Just send me some candidates, Mike. Oh, you seem to have loads of candidates. Brilliant. Have you got a good network? Whatever. I think this is a good TQ takeaway. You're wasting money on tools if you don't have real power users in the team as exemplars, trainers, and coaches for everyone else. If you sell technology, make sure your customer understands this. Otherwise, they're unlikely to renew. So there's two parts from that. If we use Salesforce, I think we use a fraction of what Salesforce has to offer. To an extent. A, a fraction of it. What did we say earlier? We're using it as a data repository. I also think, uh, uh, you know, we've seen this rise of the CSM, Customer Success Manager. I think that's what that's about as well, isn't it? The CSM bit is really important now for the modern companies. So I've got this uh, client that you know, who are an, uh, a BI company, and they're all about the CSM, getting the CSM to get the, their clients to be able to use the technology. You've got to be, because everybody's on a year-rolling contract now. 
Correct, yeah. And the technology is easy to install and or slash rip out. And therefore, I can very easily bin you for the latest shiny toy. Yeah, well, we could bin Salesforce quite easily. Yeah, I mean, I've already decided we're, we're, what, four months into our new outreach contract for the year. They did a big update the other day that's completely irrelevant to me and you. They're going next summer. Gone. Thanks. Bye. See you later, outreach. Bye. Yeah, bye. You, you've, you, <laughs> you, you, do you know what I mean? They've done an, out, an update that doesn't give the, the value that you and I want. It, it's for a completely different sector and a, in a completely different direction. And I just, when I saw it the other week, I thought, Oof, not really updated the core product in, to my benefit. Thanks for coming. Bye. Fair play. And it's so easy. Um, I'll tell you one of the things that he talks about is automation of ideal customer profile identification. Mm, yes. I think it's very interesting, actually. And what he's talking about here is if you've got an ideal customer, he's saying now, rather than spending ages doing research, there are technologies like Trigger where you can go online and say, find me more companies like that. That's cool. I wonder how accurate, I wonder how good that is. Well, I, I know that LinkedIn's technology for find me more candidates like that is beyond pathetic. Oh, it's a joke. It's terrible. So I am to an extent sceptical because LinkedIn's part of Microsoft. Microsoft have got a lot of money to throw at that problem. The whole give me an audience that looks like that candidate, they just whatever LinkedIn. Now, it might be a bit easier if you're looking for developers, people with very binary backgrounds. But so far, find me people like, I'd be interested to see. And similarly, we've got quite a nuanced ideal client criteria, haven't we? Yes, a lot of it's dependent on size as well. But it should be quite easy to um, find, I would say. Size, where they are on an adoption curve, ambition level. Now, actually, I'd be interested to try some of these. Because, you know, it's very easy to spend a lot of time canvassing. But often, you know, I'll get a list of com- potential companies to canvas and I'll look at them and think, yeah, right, delete. But imagine if I didn't have to delete off a list. Yes, yes, I agree. And I do think that that's just one area alone that could be incredibly powerful. And you're right, it does talk about A-B testing, and I do love that. Let's have a look. He says, 30% of field sales roles will go extinct with resources being moved to inside sales. Field sellers are consistently failing with 60 to 80% missing targets being the norm. Uh, you know, he's, he's very firm about it in the book, isn't he? Yes, he is. And I'm hesitant because, I don't know, it's not something we've seen yet. Now, now, maybe it's just on the verge of happening. I think there are way more SDR functions than there were five years ago. Way more. Yes. And, and in fairness, I'm not going to steal your thunder on this because you said it's Tony, but let's say there's loads more SDRs out there. You know, where are we going to hire them from? Because they're pretty hard to find. Every single client we've got, if, if you rang any client in our database right now and said, are you in the market for an SDR? They would say yes. They would, yeah. So where are they going to come from? Because actually the kids don't really want to do sales anyway. They don't. Not an attractive career right now. Being an influencer is a more attractive career or a YouTuber. Yeah, being a YouTuber. It is though, isn't it? They don't want to do it. It's very rare you find a 23-year-old who wants to be in sales. Very rare now. Now, that's good because we're going to have less salespeople, so the demand and supply curve should possibly balance itself out because the profession will become less attractive and the supply will be small and it'll sort of balance. It's an interesting side conversation. 
he, he recommends using video from Vidyard, Loom, and BombBomb, building out explainer glyphs, screen-grabbing diagrams, inserting things like a Venn. You know you like your Venn diagrams. Powerful video is a live recording. Where I'm using quite a bit of live video now. One of the apps I've been using is one that he recommends in here called Potion. I've tried that a couple of times. So what Potion does is... What does it do? Think like using a drift video. Hi, Mike. Hope you're well. I wanted to give you a call uh, about a candidate I'm working with. He's a really good guy. Da -da 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 then what I can do is I go in and I record 100 names. Hi, Dave. Hi, Paul. Hi, John. Hi, Tim. Hi, Mac. Hi, Smith. And it then concatenates each one with each other. So I've created 100 videos at scale, all with a personalised greeting at the start. That's smart. What results have you got out of it, though? Fuck all. I got no results at all out of using Drift video. Now, I'll tell you what I do find using Drift video. If I do it as part of a triple, very powerful. Well, I didn't do it specifically as a triple, but you know me, I bang up for a bit of canvassing. I got nowhere at all with Drift video. I just don't bother doing it anymore. I'll tell you where it's great is with, if you're doing a triple with a, somebody who hasn't responded, get responses. But the response is normally because you send the drift video via LinkedIn or text. You just get a text back saying, hi, I'm not buying anything. I'm not looking for any salespeople. You know, that is taking us back to my thoughts on the cold call, which is the problem that receiving something and allowing the recipient to read it creates is they have time to craft their response. Whereas if you just canvas somebody and go, hey, Johnny, it's Mike from uh, Inward. I I've got you. And I've got you because you're on the back foot. Yeah. You don't have time to go, I'm not interested. Or you, don't have, you just don't have time to ignore me. Yeah. Now, what I don't know whereabouts it is in the book, but what uh, Tony goes on about is Google Duplex. And he talks about automating outbound canvas calls. Now, I would love to see that in action and, and see whether that works. I think that would be fascinating to look at, actually. Yes. I'll tell you, but you talk about the, the, the concept of the tech and then the concept about cold calling. Benjamin Dennehy made a point the other day on LinkedIn. You know, world's most hated sales trainer, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah I like him with the red hat. He said, he made this long post on LinkedIn about get rid of your tech, write a list of 100 companies, write a list of the 100 decision makers you're going to go at, and their phone numbers on a piece of paper. Pick up the phone and ring them all fast. Leave voicemails, get on with it. Now, I actually think that if we got a salesperson over a week, every day he wrote a list of 100 names versus another one and then smashed 100 calls, one after another, after another, after another. Hi, man, it's just so-and-so, so-and-so, give me a call. Hi, so-and-so, so-and-so, give me a call. Hi, so-and-so, so-and-so, give me a call. Oh, hi, my name is getting through to some decision makers versus... Somebody with a big tech stack, I think the kid with the sheet of paper would win. I do, but is that because we're old? I don't know. I agree with you. I think today, in 2021, November, I think the kid with the sheet of paper and the 100 phone calls would absolutely crush the kid with the big tech stack. I do agree with you. You know, how much... Outreach do I actually use? Hardly any. But Don't do it. But how the hell do you find a kid in this modern world? I think that's going to become easier because I, t I tell you the problem with was in 2005 
that the kid that made 100 calls a day she was just getting such a hard time from the person on the other end of the phone. Getting beaten up, getting his ass kicked. Yeah, that just doesn't happen now. Right now, that doesn't happen. You don't get a hard time when you cold call somebody. It doesn't happen. So I think actually cold calling itself is a lot easier. But, hmm. you know, that's part of our journey, isn't it? You know, we're going to hire a business developer, so we'll see what happens. You know, if it was, if it was us doing it, Johnny, which, it, you know, it's going to be, what we're going to do, hire somebody that's got loads of tech or hire somebody that's going to pick up the phone a hundred times. I'm going to go with the latter personally, but who knows whether that's the right thing to do or not. Well, what Tony's saying, and he was right about triples, is combine the two. Yes, he is saying combine the two. He's saying combine the two. He's saying give the kid a list of hundred names where you've narrowed down the ideal customer criteria using the right technology. You then narrowed it down again via intent data, then give them a list of 100 names. After you've already run several sequences and advertising campaigns on that data to warm them up. Now, actually, if you do that, woo, I think that's killer. Now, the question is, is do you have one person doing both things or one person banging out calls and another in the support function? of? I think you have one person banging out calls and another in the support function. Me too. We know we were talking about Alex and how quickly he's picked up the tech. Would Alex be able to get his head around supporting somebody to do that? I would have said so. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. What won't want to make the outbound calls, but you know, is he capable of doing that? Yeah, he is. Because actually, those hundred calls won't be that hard if every customer that you're ringing is actually in your ideal customer criteria. If every customer that's in data was clear, they've had emails from you, they've seen you, colleagues, and you on LinkedIn. They've been advertised to in their Facebook feed, LinkedIn feed, da 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 da. And actually, those list names are in that list because somewhere along the line they've exhibited some kind of intent. I don't think that's really hard cold calling anymore. No, do I? I think that's easy cold calling. And then you put them all on a dialer, so I don't even. Ha- and this is what Tony's saying. Then you put them all on a dialer, so the kid doesn't even have to look the phone numbers up. It's just dialing, 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 and he takes a call when it comes through, and it flashes up and says, "Hi." It's so-and-so, so-and-so with the information he needs about the company. And then, adding even more to it, what Tony talks about a bit later in the book, really, is about the AI being able to provide insight in the call to direct you to say the right thing. Correct. The client says, I'm sorry, I'm busy, and up flashes a card to handle the objection. Say that. Yeah. You know, a lot of the clients say stuff that we don't really understand. You know, a client might reference a book. So, you know, quite often the client might say, Jam Tomorrow, which is obviously a you know, Lewis Carroll reference. Yeah. If you didn't know that, but something flashed up and then could re-reference back with another Lewis Carroll quote, you just got that client. You've got that prospect. You've properly nailed them. Correct. And that's what the AI is going to hopefully do. I'll tell you what was very interesting in this book. Tony Hughes didn't talk much about LinkedIn automation. No, he didn't, and we didn't cover it, actually. I wonder why. Nervous of biting the hand that feeds him? I don't know. I think LinkedIn is a terrible platform, actually. It, you know, it's, it's rubbish, isn't it? I think LinkedIn has become a, an utter cesspool. And he actually talks about, and he makes a really interesting point, where he says LinkedIn has become such a shithole that Actually, a lot of smart salespeople now are creating private Slack groups for customers. Uh, yeah, I'm going to cover the LinkedIn thing. I don't think it's a cesspool. I think it's just is what it is. But actually, if you looked at LinkedIn from a different perspective, 
you know, how easy is it to sequence in LinkedIn? Well, you can't. Well, you can. There's loads. I, I could name several technologies that could do it, but they're all unapproved. But what, they're not approved by LinkedIn, I take it? LinkedIn don't like it, do they? Maybe that's why I don't do it, because I got I, I had a big problem with LinkedIn when I said... You got... Yeah, <laughs> you, you did use a LinkedIn automation tool. I use LinkedIn Helper, and... <laughs> For those who don't know, Linked Helper is written by some fella in Russia. Linked Helper version 2 is supposed to be amazing, because you can drag data out of it and put it straight into a CRM system. There's loads of products like that now, though, Mike. Loads that are better designed than Linked Helper. This, he's a fella in somewhere in Eastern Europe, just basically f- waging war with LinkedIn. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be he, losing, though. No, he'll be earning a living. I'll tell you, you know, he's, he'll be earning a nice living sat at home developing his software. And every time LinkedIn write a fix to stop him from making money, he just writes another fix that goes around it. <laughs> but... The problem, it's a funny one is LinkedIn sequencing, because one of the beautiful things about outreach is you can sequence within LinkedIn. You know, if I look in my LinkedIn profile this morning, I'll be careful who hears this, but Jose has on my behalf sent about 150 emails. Brilliant. And to be fair, that gets results, does really gets results, but they're manually sent. That is proper cyborg stuff, because actually that's the marriage of man and machine, because you can't automatically send them. So I, I was surprised about that, because actually... In-mail is more effective than email. End of. Well, it gets delivered, doesn't it? Yeah, even though the platform is rubbish, in-mail is still just way more effective than email. Miles. Well, I don't, I don't use outreach. I only use in-mail. And you get plenty of candidates. You fill plenty of jobs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right, I don't know where you're up to in the book here, Johnny. We've sort of walked on a little. I'm on location 2279. Yeah, I mean, that's not really helpful, is it? Do you want me to give you a page number? Well, I'll tell you what, so I'm, I'm actually at part two. I've been flicking through it, we've been talking, which is part two, sales borg action. Right. Unless you've got anything you want to cover before we get to that point. Ethics of data sourcing, location 2406. Yeah, the 2406 thing just doesn't help me, Johnny. Really? As the listeners will hear. That's your location. Well, how, how would that help me? What does that mean to my iPad? Well, it's it, because you've got, it'll tell you at the bottom of the page in your Kindle, it will tell you what the location is. I can't see that. Anyway, go on. Tell me what you're going to say. Page 120, 51% through the book. The ethics of data sourcing. You're miles ahead of where I was, actually. Am I? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, go on. Ethics of data sourcing. What do you think? Uh, I think if it's if it's above board, then I'm in. I think there's a point at which we have to trust the suppliers that we use are doing it in an above board manner, really. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to trust that what Lucia says about it being GDPR... It's true. Otherwise, what's the point in actually using the platform? Do you know what I think is a lot of people will read this book, they'll get into work on a Monday, they'll go, right, I'm just going to get a looser account, I'm going to get some data, I'm just going to get on it. But actually, they'll be terrified of their marketing department who are up their own tubes about GDPR, incorrectly up their own tubes about GDPR, will hold them back and say, that's not top quality data. And I think that's where a lot of companies are going to fall is there's a lot of, you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, if I'm a sales guy and I'm reading this book right now and I'm thinking, bloody hell, he's right. I'm just going to take it upon myself. I'm just going to go for it. Actually, I think a lot of them will get blocked. By their own uh, employers? By their own businesses. Yeah, I do. 
I mean, I don't know. We work for a small company, don't we? But um, you and I have this unbelievable advantage of agility. We just do what we want. Yeah, exactly. What's interesting is I know a recruiter who works for a company and uh, their outbound model is they send a candidate background. So they don't send a CV, just a candidate background. They send a candidate background and they send 1,000 emails at a time. They, I've told you this, Johnny, they send it out of Outlook. 1,000 emails at a time. I said, what's your hit rate? He said, you know, statistically, if you send out 1,000 emails, you'll send your candidate out three or four times, you'll place your candidate. So the hit rate's good. I said, what do you do about GDPR? He said, oh, it's easy that. I said, go on. He said, well, everything has to go through Bullhorn. So Bullhorn evidently is very GDPR solid. Um, and if it goes through Bullhorn, you're above board. He said, so what you do is you wait until the managers aren't looking and just send it out of Outlook. Brilliant. That's mad though, isn't it? Talk about renegade. Now, the guy that owns that company has got a collection of exotic cars and a gigantic house. So actually, what does he think? I mean, it's a serious collection of seriously exotic yeah, yeah. cars. So, so, so actually, what's going on there? I reckon he knows that's going on. Of course he does. But because they get results and he can drive exotic cars, he doesn't care. So I think to answer your question, what will happen is, you know, Bill, who reads our book, then does all this. If he gets away with it, company isn't sued and hits his target, client won't care. Now, that's the non-politically correct. That man goes on holidays on a private jet. He doesn't even fly schedule. Yeah, private jet. He takes a private jet on his vacations. So... Yeah, he gets invited to the Lamborghini new car release. There's only 200 people in England get uh, invited. He's one of them. He gets invited. He owns a recruitment business. So let's get it right. I actually think... It's very interesting. There was a new information commissioner appointed recently. It went through with very little fanfare unless you looked at it closely. But this new information commissioner has been brought in by the government to basically let everything slide. Basically, I think his brief is catch the real dickheads, nail them. Let everybody else just get on with it. So what are we going to do? Get more spam? Um, no, I think... Look, there's a clause in GDPR that only the people who actually thought about it know about, which is legitimate use. And actually, if I'm using a piece of technology that gets me an ideal, a list of ideally perfect clients for whom we're probably a very good fit, who then gives me another piece of technology which narrows those clients down into ones that actually potentially have buying intent, then gives me another bit of technology that narrows them down by the correct vertical market, and then another piece of technology which then says, okay, these are the ones that are worth targeting. Does it really matter where I got the email address from? No, because I'm legitimately using the data. And actually, I'm touching those people with such relevant information at such a relevant time does it really matter if I used some hooky Chrome extension web scraper to get the email address? Nope. Because you couldn't come after me on a GDPR claim. Interesting. You couldn't beat me on a GDPR claim. No way on the basis of legitimate use. That GDPR thing all just seems to have been storming a teacup, really, doesn't it? Forgotten. And this new information commissioner has been brought in to make it effectively almost go away. So ethics of data sourcing, I think we need to be less worried about it. But what we do need to be more worried about is not doing harm. 
We're not doing harm to our own prospect base. Don't do any harm to your own prospect base and don't send an email that's completely irrelevant to somebody. That's that's rude. It's, it's not rude. It's just it's just it's just counterproductive, isn't it? Counterproductive and it's rude. I, I don't mind a spammy email. If it's relevant to me, it's not spam though, if you know what I mean. Correct. You know, if I go into my email inbox now, I bet there is some sales emails. And some of them will be absolutely bang on. Let's have a look. Uh who's this guy? Yep, there you go. Trade.io. They're an integration platform that competes with Zapier. He's going to get his email read. It is. It's just going to get read, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is, yeah. It'll get five seconds of eyeball time. So, Mike, we're about halfway through the book here now. Yes, I was going to say, actually, I'm up to sort of chapter eight, and it's 51%. So we're halfway through. You know, we've talked about a couple of shows worth, I think. I suggest what we do is come back and we do another show because we haven't finished talking about what's in the book. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We'll see you again for the second half of Take Powered Sales, possibly the most important book we've ever done on this show. Goodbye.